reading is from uh, Matthew uh, chapter 9 and verses 27 to 33, and you'll find it on page 974 in the Church Bibles and hopefully on the screen. So Jesus heals the blind man and the mute. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind man came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. But Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons as he drives out demons. How wrong they were. And I'm glad we can affirm the creed together. From Psalm 115, which you can find on page 615 of the Pew Bibles. That's page 615, Psalm 115. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. All you Israelites, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless his people Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to the human race. It's not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to the place of silence. It is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Joe, for reading. Uh, Please keep that passage open as we come to God's word. 
But before we do so, let me pray for us. Uh, in the words of the word, words of the song we just sang, uh, Living God, and would you speak to us this evening? And we are hungry for your word, and we ask that by your spirit, uh, would you be at work, uh, opening the eyes of our hearts, and to see your glory more clearly. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please do look up. Uh, it is said that after the Battle of uh, Agincourt, uh, King Henry V ordered his army to kneel um, and instructed the chaplains to say the following words to his army. Not to us, Lord, not to us. Uh, words from the first half of verse 1 of this psalm. It was meant to serve as a reminder that God's glory belongs not to brave warriors and kings in battle, but God's glory belongs to God alone. It was an attempt to keep human pride in check. Four centuries or so later, William Wilberforce would meditate on these same words in verse 1. He did so after the bill to abolish the slave trade was passed in Parliament. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory. To your name be glory for justice in our world. And the glory of God was, of course, one of the great tenets of the Reformation. So lie Deo Gloria, God's glory alone. The Reformers knew that all of Christian life uh, is to be understood in the context of God's glory alone. God has no rival to his glory. And Christians throughout history have thought it good to remind themselves of this. I wonder how often we do so ourselves as Christians in the 21st century, as Christians here at All Saints, in the lives that we live. I wonder how determined we are, like the psalmists, like Christians in history, uh, to be emphatic that God alone gets the glory in our lives. I suppose the modern sensibilities would scoff at the notion of glorifying a God we can't see, touch or smell. If God is to be glorified, then where, where is he? We can't even see him. Verse 2, the nations are asking, where is their God? Now, this question has the tone of a, of a jest or taunt, and it helps us to understand the context of verse 1. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory, are words uttered not during the, the high point of ancient Israel, but rather these words are uttered at a low point in Israel's history. Uh, the atmosphere is one of, not one of praise after victory in battle. Rather, it's a, it's a prayer for deliverance from their circumstance. You can imagine the conversation going, really? You mean you still believe in God after you've been exiled? Time after time, defeat in battle? Uh, if your God is so powerful, if he's so mighty, then where is he? If God is there, then where is he as Christians are persecuted all over the world? How can your God allow such evil to go unchecked? Where is God, asks the nations, friends at work, family, neighbours? I wonder how you might begin to answer this question in verse 2. 
As the nations question the existence of God, uh, the psalmist doesn't hesitate to answer. He's quick to reply in verse 3. Our God is in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. It's partly an encouragement to us to see the benefits of, of being ready to answer such questions. Where is God? Our God is in heaven, seated on his throne. Uh, this doesn't mean God is remote from us. No, far from it. Uh, rather, it tells us that God, he's the true ruler of the universe. See, we know the place where the king or king in this, queen or king in this country resides. They live in Buckingham Palace, give or take. And so it is with God. Because he's the ruler of the universe, of all creation, he resides in heaven. And he does whatever pleases him. Uh, This doesn't mean God is unpredictable or volatile in his behaviour or emotions towards us. No, far from it. It means that God is in total control. Nothing can stop whatever God decrees from coming to pass. He's not like a prime minister or the government who have to pass a bill through parliament. No, when God speaks, things happen straight away. His words are action. Let there be light. And there was light. God is in heaven, replies the psalmist, and does whatever he pleases. Unlike the idols of the nation, who have no power whatsoever. That's our first point to note. See the worthless nature of idols. They have nothing to offer. See the worthless nature of idols. They have nothing to offer. Verse 4. Their idols are silver and gold, made by human hands. You can imagine the psalmist cheekily replying, at least the previous generation of idolaters worship the sun and moon, which was bad enough. Well, this generation of idolaters have gone downhill. They make things with their own hands and worship it. The worshipping of idols, it makes people senseless. Instead of worshipping God, the God who made silver and gold, they carve silver and gold into images and worship those instead. Instead of worshipping the God who has blessed us with money, possession, family, knowledge, good things, we end up worshipping those things instead. And because idol worship makes people senseless, we don't even realise it. Or maybe we do. But like the townsfolk in that emperor's new clothes, no one dares says anything or admit to what they're witnessing until the little child blurts out what all know to be true. The emperor's wearing nothing at all. The psalmist is blurting out what the nations know to be true, but do not want to admit. Their idols are worthless, dead, and have no life in them. Their idols have mouths but cannot speak to their people, verse 5. Eyes but cannot see their people. Ears but cannot hear the prayers of their people. Hands and feet but cannot take action on behalf of their people. Their idols can be seen and touched, but lack any power to do anything whatsoever. Their idols are worthless and have nothing to offer. I suppose modern day idolatry looks different from the idolatry of the pagans in ancient Israel. 
But the heart issues are still the same, aren't they? Uh, Placing our trust in anything other than God. Materialism. uh, Placing our our trust in possessions to, to bring us happiness, joy, comfort. That's a form of idolatry, isn't it? If we trust in our possessions and money more than we trust in our God. Uh, Intellectualism. For a long time now, Western society has increasingly put its faith more and more in the human intellect and less and less on God to give life meaning. I reckon a a subtle idol that's not too often mentioned is is an obsession to, to often safeguard our status in society. How do others perceive me at work? How do others perceive me in my family, in my friendship group? How do others perceive me at church? Uh, It's been said that we often spend the money we don't have to buy the things we don't want to impress the people we don't like. When we trust in our status, how others view us to define our self-worth, instead of letting God define it, then it becomes an idol. Idols are not just worthless, but verse 8 that they are destructive to those who worship them. Look at verse 8. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Uh, In his book, uh, We Become What We Worship, Greg Beale argues that we take on the characteristics of the things we worship. We become like them. Society runs after false gods as unbridled individualism becomes a new altar to bow down at. Society becomes more futile in its thinking. And slowly we don't even know what's true anymore. Can't even define who is a man or a woman. That's the irony of worshipping idols. Uh, They destroy us in our thinking. Idol worship, it destroys those who worship them. So this is a warning. Don't trust in anything other than God. Because if you do... Well, then, instead of delivering what you want, it will actually destroy you in the process. Turn away from idols and place your trust in God. Place your trust in God. Why? Well, our second point. Because of the wonderful nature of God. God has it all to offer us. Our second point. See, the wonderful nature of God, he has it all to offer. Now, you have this repeated phrase in verses 9 to 11 trust in the lord and then the response he is their help and shield uh, this refrain suggests that this psalm was probably sung in a in a congregational setting like this uh, the israelites would have been the majority of the of the people in the congregation uh, the house of aaron would have been the the priests the clergy and the God-fearers might have been the non-Israelites who had uh, converting, converted to worshipping the one true God. Uh, you can imagine someone like Ruth the Moabite falling into this category. Trusting in the living God, though you may not be able to see him or be able to touch him, he's more present than ever. And he's your help and shield. Uh, You can imagine this resonating with the Israelites of the day as they recounted the the Lord's guiding hand through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and throughout their history. I was speaking to a a member of our church family. He was in hospital last year. And at some point, some of you may know her, the doctors were discussing the option of turning her life support machine off. 
And to our great joy, they didn't. The life support machine was kept on. And you could say that, oh, that's just one of those things that happens in hospitals. Decisions are made. Fair enough. Or you could say it was through the prayers of the church family that the machine was kept on, uh, enabling our dear sister to recover. Or what you can definitely say is that God was at work all along, shielding her life. You see, when we place our trust in God, we can be sure that only his timing will prevail over our lives. And so we can trust in him throughout all the circumstances we go through. God is not only powerful to protect, but he's a God who blesses his people. Verses 12 to 13. You see, idols do the opposite. Instead of blessing and enriching those who worship them, idols destroy those who place their trust in them. Because you eventually become like them, lifeless in your soul. However, those who place their trust in the Lord will be remembered. The Lord remembers us. The Lord never forgot the Israelites, though they often forgot him and turned their backs on him to worship idols. God always stayed true to his promises. He always remembered his people. I wonder how that speaks to us this evening. Let's think about our Christian journey. If not for the Lord's blessing, the Lord's guiding hand, where would we be spiritually? The Lord has continued to bless us over the years, growing us in our faith, blessing us with faithful brothers and sisters, never stopping his work with us, transforming our hearts continuously to be more like Christ. The Lord blesses his people, both great and small. It's a great leveler, isn't it? Both great and small, young and old, rich and poor, educated and uneducated, old in faith, young in faith, all need God's God, sorry, all need God's blessings. Trust in God. Why? Well, because He has it all to offer, and He always delivers on His promises. I wonder if you noticed the intentional nature of verse 1. Not to us, Lord, not to us. It's quite emphatic, isn't it? The psalmist is determined not to receive any glory whatsoever. I reckon we often need to be determined that God alone gets the glory in our lives. Uh, We have to be deliberate about it. Otherwise... Uh, People might see God's hands at work in our lives and give glory to us. You see, maybe as Christians, our problem isn't so much that we replace God in our lives with idols, but rather we we reduce God in our lives. Uh, Instead of replacing God, we slowly reduce God's role in our lives. And what do I mean by that? Well, year after year, you can imagine, we eventually find it easier to not to mention our faith or to talk about God unless someone explicitly asks us. I've known you for all these years. I I didn't know you were a Christian. See, a big difference between Christians and non-Christians is that as Christians, we acknowledge that every good and perfect gift comes from above. It comes from God. I wonder, as the years pass by, 
Are we prone to become less likely to give glory to God for the good things he blesses us with? I'm not saying we have to bring up our faith in conversation all the time. But if we're not intentional like the psalmist, then we end up slowly reducing God's role in our lives to others. It just happens. See, I think this is an encouragement for us to keep being intentional in giving glory to God whenever we can. Uh, Let's pray that his Holy Spirit would help us to live out verse 1, the prayer in verse 1. Not to us, Lord. Not to us. Not only are we to be intentional in giving glory to God, we're to be emphatic in putting our trust in God. Uh, The repeated refrain in verses 9 to 11 is emphatic. You can't miss it, can you? Trust in the Lord. It's repeated three times. It's a deliberate call to trust in God and nothing else. See, if we're to continue to place our trust in the Lord, then we need to constantly remind ourselves. Well, otherwise, we can, we can slowly start to trust in the things God has blessed us with more than God himself. Uh, there'll be many things to list that could potentially vie for our trust over God. But let me mention one thing I don't think is often talked about, and that's the Christian community. Uh, church family is a blessing from God, isn't it? Uh, when we become Christians, uh, we, we become committed to Christ, but we also become committed to each other, brothers and sisters, each being built up as the bride of Christ, as a church. And yet it's often the case that sometimes we, we can become slowly tempted to trust more so in our fellowship, in our church family, than we do in God himself, if I may say so. Over time, if our vision of Christian community, the the idea of what church should be like is what we come to trust in more than our personal relationship with God, then we slowly reduce the role of God in the church and we'll be frustrated slowly with the community that God has given us. Even as Christians, we're always to be deliberate, to be intentional that our trust in God is not slowly morphing into a deeper trust in human fellowship. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor and theologian, made this observation about Christian fellowship. He says this, Every human wish, dream, that's injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine Christian community. He who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest and sacrificial. Uh, It's a recognition that sometimes our ideal of church can be often different from what God has intended it to be. Uh, For some of us, it may be that at times when we've been hurt by others in church... And that's what helps us to, to place our trust more so in God. It helps, helps us to realise God's refining power as he refines us, saints and sinners alike. A true Christian community it always starts with placing our trust, our undivided trust in God alone. Trusting in his vision for us as a church family. And as we do so, we get the Christian community along with it, don't we? 
and the world will see. They'll see God is glorified, not just in our lives, but also, and wonderfully, in the church. Verse 16, God creates the heavens and earth for a purpose. He's created the church for a purpose, uh, to praise him, to declare his glory. Uh, The believer knows this and seeks to respond with their whole lives, declaring God's glory. Ephesians 2 tells us that we were once dead in our sins on our way to the place of silence in verse 17. But according to God's great love and mercy, we have been made alive in Christ, given a voice to sing. Uh, And the song we're to sing is God's praises, both now and forevermore. Verse 18. Those who have been raised to life have been given a voice to declare God's glory alone. Wouldn't it be wonderful to make verse 1 a constant prayer for ourselves? Not to me, Lord, not to me be the glory in this promotion at work, in this recognition of my service or talents or success. Not to me, Lord, be glory this week, this day, this evening. But to you always be glory in my life. Just a moment of silence to reflect.